0: i'm laughing this is the worst intro ever as scott says do we have theme music so uh, welcome to another episode of two old dudes and one middle-aged dude talking about stuff um is this a podcast we don't know is this a video for youtube we don't know but it's something so there you go so i am tim hemingway coming to you from uh nice and sunny utah today and we got scott and bill coming from vegas how are you guys doing
1: um, we are doing okay. I am um, sitting here in a damp T-shirt with my hair wet because the air conditioning went out in the house. Oh no! Today. Well, not the AC. The actual AC unit appears to be working. It's the the attic fan isn't coming on, and we just had the attic fan replaced like two years ago. So I've got to call into our friendly neighborhood heating and air conditioning guy. And we do have a really good guy, but you know, I have a funny feeling this is gonna be another three, 400 bucks. Um, in the meantime, we, it's, it's like 84 degrees up here on this floor. And we've got the, uh, the uh, swamp cooler that I bought for the garage back when Scott and I were rehearsing out there. Oh, that man. is up in my wife's office, just trying to take the edge off it a little bit because she's too hot at anything over about seventy three. <laughs> of course we live in Vegas, so you know, that makes all the sense in the world.
0: So what is the uh temperature down there right now?
1: It was hot today. It was like uh we didn't hit a hundred, but I was out in Red Rock um and ninety one like, where I'm at. hundred and one where you're at? Well you live no, in ninety one. Ninety one, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well it was hotter than that earlier. It's not that's right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it was 93 out in Red Rock, and Red Rocks usually—I mean, Red Rock can be 10 degrees cooler than the rest of the valley.
2: Not all. 99 was the high today, so it So was I'll,
0: uh, I'll just be happy with my mid 70s and overcast yeah, today.
1: Take it. Yeah, it was awesome for a couple of weeks before this, but then it just—you know—the hammer fell, and it did so quickly.
0: So anyway. Hey, quick, well, quick question: Is this—is this like a a weather show? Is that what it is, or uh, are we going to talk about? It <laughs>
2: And now, at this time,
0: the sun will th- th- be
2: coming up over here all the way <laughs> to the east.
0: <laughs> to it, be a Vegas weatherman, it's like, it's hot or it's hotter. So, um, so today's idea, I believe, was Bill's idea that's been uh, expanded upon. So, Bill, why don't you jump in and tell us what we're talking about today? Right, and so, then, I, then I have some rules I made up that I'm going to yeah, give you at we, the end. So go for it. Okay. expanded
1: upon oh. it. Okay. Um, so the original idea was to... Uh, to talk about the two albums that were like the stuff we were all listening to when we started in our first bands, and I think Tim right away said we can't do two; we better do like five, um, and and so that was, just, that was kind of the idea. It's like the kind of like the music that formed us, and um, I mean. That kind of stuff. So you have rules. We have actual rules.
0: Yeah, these are these are the rules. So we are going to do a countdown from five to one. Each of us will do our five, then four, then three, then two, then one um, is the way we're going to get there. Um, And then the rule is because I know everybody here loves to talk. You get a maximum (laughs) talk time of 15 (laughs) minutes, which works out to be three minutes per album. So, you know, if you go on and on and on your five, you'll get like 30 seconds for everything else. That's my rule.
1: Okay, I'm good with that.
0: so I'm watching the clock, and I'm kicking it off to Bill because he gets to kick it off because it was his idea.
1: Oh, great. And I'm the one who talks the most. Okay, so... Um,
0: Three minutes starting now.
1: If I had to... Um, I, I didn't put him in order like that. Um, and Probably um, number five would be Fly Like an Eagle by the Steve Miller band. Um, and that was just this weird mix of psychedelia and blues and we did a couple of songs off that. We did uh, Take the Money and Run and we did Rockin' Me. Now I have to say though um, when I started to think about all this stuff I realized that when I think of my first band I think of my first working band and I forgot there were two bands before that. So I had to like go back and and, and hook up with people from like a million years ago and ask if they remembered this stuff. And uh, the funny thing is a lot of the songs that we were doing stayed the same. So um, and Fly Like an Eagle grayed out. And, and, if, and if you want to uh, expand it out from our, you know, actual band bands, I actually played Fly Like an Eagle, the title cut. We used to do a version of that in jazz band at school because we had this hip, jazz band director. <laughs> and we did uh, stuff like Steve Miller and- I Frank wish Jackson. I could
2: have played a jazz band when I was in school. I was too stupid.
0: I, I uh, got kicked out.
1: <laughs> I should have gotten kicked out because I never learned to read very well. And so I was just like memorizing stuff, you know? But I could play the heck out of Fly Like an Eagle, man. Da, 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 that's really easy, you know? When, when it got into like peaches and regalia, that was way tougher.
0: <laughs> so I'm just gonna throw this a new idea out here. As you go through the album, pick out like two tracks for people not familiar with it, if you can, off the top of your head. And maybe afterwards we'll put together like a Spotify or Apple playlist or something. Oh, so, I so, or three tracks so,
1: Yeah, the, the the two big ones on that album were "Take the Money and Run" and um, "Rockin' Me." Those were um, really simple songs that any you know somebody who's just starting to learn how to figure out what a guitar is all about um can play pretty easily and uh, and, and we played them all the time
0: nice hey and you kept it right at 3 minutes good job Woo-hoo! Hey, scott your turn
2: i didn't go in in any order or and there's just too many records too many albums to, like so for me Stuff from when I was a kid was what I'm going to go through. Like in and this Dion and the Belmonts, woo! Live at Madison Square Garden. Now, I've never played any of these rec- any of these songs really per se, but my mom listened to this record all the time. It's one of her favorite records. Dion and the Belmonts is one of her favorite bands. We're from New York, we we like Dion. Live Madison Square Garden. Backing band, Billy Vera and the Beaters.
1: This is an amazing record. Uh, well, the Billy and the Beaters is a great band. I see them at the Palomino all the time in like the mid 80s
2: old and I, I, I don't know I don't have like there's just too many favorite records for me this one was well, a I'm great gonna
0: tell you th- this is one I'm not familiar with so I will have to check it out
2: uh, major tracks on this one are teenager in love The Wanderer uh, I wonder why and a lot of these songs are in gangster movies you know like uh, uh casino and and bronx tale and uh you know teenager in love and run around Sue, uh, those are huge Dion songs
1: keep away from a run around Yeah,
2: great one yeah. yeah so and and it's a great recording that places sold out 60,000 people
1: and Deion's still doing stuff, man. He's still playing around New York. He put out a new album, I want to say, like two years ago.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't know. That's the stuff that I listened to when I was a kid. In the 60s.
0: So, so that's very cool. That actually, um, oh, I should ask Scott. Can I jump into mine or you? Yeah, no, do. Go. Okay. So I actually had this big debate on mine. Um, because I remember with my brothers, we used to uh, pretend we were a rock band. And I grew up in a house, and I'll probably talk more about this, but we didn't have a lot of rock music in my house growing up. Um, the hardest album we had was Moody Blues' Other Side of Life. So one of their kind of obscure 80s albums. My dad was a huge Moody Blues fan, and I almost picked that one. But then as I was going through my music history, I actually went to Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. That would oh, be my now. number five. It's a great one. And... Um, it would actually be the song would be uh, you give love a bad name and the reason why is I was probably about nine years old at the time and I had this cassette tape. it oh, was a about nine <laughs> I, I told you two old guys in the middle-aged guy. and uh, so I had this cassette tape I got for like my fifth or sixth birthday it was a Wizard of Oz cassette tape and I remember I you know put tape over the tabs on it so I could record and I remember recording "You Give Love a Bad Name" off the radio because I thought it was the coolest rock song I'd ever heard. And I remember that I didn't want my mom and dad to get mad at me because it said the word "hell" in it, so I tried to edit that out. <laughs> but I think <laughs> that song. Um, so obviously, it started with "You Give Love a Bad Name," and then uh, you know, the album also has "Living Out of Prayer," "Wanted Dead, uh, Dead or Alive." I mean, it is a fantastic Bon Jovi album,
1: an amazing record, man, and uh, and for, for for that time period, I mean, no doubt. How many hits were on that record? Like five?
0: Yeah, like five. Like, and it's Like just, all of them? <laughs> no, yeah. it was, yeah, you're right. Like most of the hits. And it was such a huge album. But for me, it was like that realization that there was music outside of the Simon and Garfunkel and Neil Diamond and ABBA that was played in my house. And that's why I put it there is that was the thing where I was like, I want to play electric guitar. I want to learn how to do this. So Don't that would be my dis number five. ABBA.
1: Don't diss ABBA, man. I'm a big ABBA.
0: <laughs> oh, hey! I didn't diss them. I'm just saying that's what I grew up on, and this was like kind of my realization that there's a world outside of this. So, there you go. Who wants to go next on number four?
1: Um, well, if we're gonna round robin, it. I'll go next. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with the one that we we attempted to um, play some songs off of this album, and we did it badly, along with every other band in the world at this point in time, but that first Boston album, you know, uh, that came out in, uh, I was 16 years old. I remember going into, uh, there used to be a, a, a record store chain called The Warehouse. Yeah, I remember that one. Yep, and I was like maybe I was maybe 15, almost 16 years old. Um, I remember going with my mom, and I had a few bucks in my pocket to buy some records, and there was this, this sign up about, um, something about the three Bs, and it was Boston, Boz, and the Boss. <laughs> and, you know, because, that boston album and silk degrees and and born to run all came out like within months of each other within about six months um and and all of those had a huge influence on me and i'm a huge bruce fan i did not include that album because we never made an attempt to play any of the stuff i mean that was his you know wall of sound album and this stuff you know the tracks line up Eight million deep there's 30 guitar parts on every song and and all kinds of stuff and 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 you had to have a real keyboard player and I don't know about any of y'all but we didn't have keyboard players we had you know people with with guitars and a bass and some drums and we you maybe to had rich to play keyboards, that so. you know nobody had keyboards so uh, so yeah the the uh, the the Anyway, the, the spring scene stuff was out, but we uh, made attempts at least to play uh, more than a feeling um, and, and, um, and peace of mind for sure. Those two I, I remember for sure that we, we tried to do.
0: Well, you know, and I think this is just a testament to how incredible that album is. Is my oldest oh, yeah. son is 14 right now and he's learning to play guitar and he and his buddies have been learning more than a feeling. That's what they've been working on this week. And so it's oh, like, okay. you know, that album came out what? probably 40 years ago, in the 70s, and you've got you know, kids in 8th grade now trying to learn those tracks still, so pretty yeah, incredible. I,
1: you know, I, and, and, and you know, may he rest in peace. I got to interview Brad Delp um, at one point um, for, uh, for Live to Play, and uh, actually before it was called Live to Play, back when he was still singer and musician. Um, but, uh, and he said these words, he said, if I had known when I was 20, that I'd still be singing these songs when I was 50, I never would have gone for that note. <laughs> and we all know which <laughs> note he's talking about. <laughs> that's
0: awesome.
2: Oh, man, that's crazy. So that, what a great ride. I never knew anyone. Like, where, where we live, nobody played keyboards, because that meant you had to have a Hammond or, a, you know, a friend of Rhodes or a Wurlitzer, and you had to be a rich kid to have those
0: you know, my, my parents got a Wurlitzer probably in the mid, early to mid 70s when they got married. Um, I think it was a wedding present because my mom was a pianist and my dad finally got rid of it. And I regret not snagging that before he sold it.
1: Oh, man, a, a classic Wurlitzer. Oh. Yeah. Look, well, great, great, man. It, great I sound. I played with for a while and maybe one day again, guy named Corey Poulin. Um, and Corey's like 32 and just bought a real Rhodes. I mean, like, he's got every, you know, electric piano sample there is under the sun, but he still went out and bought a real rose, because there's just nothing like those old, real electric pianos, man. There's just something about them. Very
0: cool. Scott, I think we're over to you.
2: Let's see, well, and not really any particular order, just kind of the, oldest I started listening to.
1: Oh yeah.
2: This is the Edgar Winner group. They only come out at night. Uh, and this is an amazing band. Chuck Ruff, Ronnie Montrose, Danny Huff, Edgar Winner, Special guest Rick Derringer.
1: Yeah, that was a great record, man. Yeah, Huff was an amazing producer. Uh, He did a lot of great stuff.
2: Yeah, Dan Hartman. Dan Dan Hartman. Hartman. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, this is the original record from when I was a kid. Dan Hartman, I can dream about it. You know uh some other song he had in the 80s but this one was uh Free Ride Frankenstein those those were like the big hits that everybody knows but an amazing amazing record we I, never I can't tried believe to play
1: Frankenstein nobody I knew tried to play Frankenstein but we all tried to play Free Ride
2: yeah, we all tried to play Free Ride that was the, that was the big like AM, you know, radio song then. Yeah, and they all they all looked cool. I always thought I was like, wow, what a that's like that's like a rock and roll band, <laughs> you know. But in the in the seventies, that was a rock and roll band. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, and again, I, still doing it, man. Edgar Winter just put out a new record like in the last few weeks. He did a uh, a, a kind of a tribute to his brother Johnny, and there's yeah, like
2: look a- at those. Look at those lamb chops, man.
1: I know. <laughs> Love those.
2: Yeah. Yeah, great, great record. I, I, I wore the shit out of that record. I play it, and
0: it still had that That's awesome. Yeah, great it's record. A, you know, I think, um, so I, I kind of was uh, at the tail end of vinyl. Um, and I, I actually love that Scott brought visual, like visuals today. I, oh, yeah, i got to have visual
2: aids, man.
0: <laughs> I have them for my top three, but my thing is I came up in the CD era. Sure. And I, for the life of me, could not find my box of CDs to pull the actuals out. So, um, But this is my, my number four I'll give you. And I do have the CD, but I don't have the vinyl. But after this, three, two, one, and one, I will have vinyl for. Um, so I'm almost as cool as Scott. You're um, very cool. But uh, my number three or sorry number four um actually would be tom petty and the heartbreakers greatest hits and i think i actually wrote an article about this not too long ago but i remember my very first band you know we only knew probably a dozen chords between the three of us as we were trying to put together a band and we were trying to write songs and we were going through the chord progressions we or the chords we knew trying to figure out a progression and we figured out mary jane's last dance and it was just maybe one of the coolest moments of my beginning years of playing was figuring out that you know a minor gd you know just basic progression and we played that nonstop, and i think the reason why that resonated so much with me is you know my older brothers were really into like the 80s rock and the shredder stuff and obviously metallica was really big and things like that and it was That album was the one Like, I didn't even realize Tom Petty had stuff prior to that album, even though it's called Greatest Hits. That's how dumb I was was But that album is kind of like a a resurgence in a lot of ways. And I know Free Fallen had been a big hit, probably like 89 when that came out. But that also put that all over like modern rock radio as well. Those were kind of the two big tracks that got tons of play from that album. But I think it just kind of blew my mind at how simplistic some of the songs were. Once again, you know, Free Fallen, three chords, the entire song. Um, Mary Jane's Last Dance is three chords you know um, Mike Campbell has some amazing leads but he also plays some really simple stuff but it just works and uh, because that album Tom Petty became uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or Tom Petty solo it doesn't really matter it's all kind of Tom and Mike no matter what it is um, just became kind of like for me like the definitive of like American songwriting. like I just love everything about that band and, and honestly when I look at like Bands I have not seen live. My biggest regret is not seeing Tom Petty live. I yeah, saw great Trump stories,
1: times, um, and I saw the. Uh, what was that one Southern something? Uh, Southern exposure, Southern
0: accents, or Southern, Southern accents. accents? Yeah, I that's Saw
1: it. the Southern Accents tour with the Horn Section at the Willow Turn. That was a great show. Uh, saw uh, the Heartbreakers backing up Bob Dylan once, which was a really interesting. Oh, that's so show. cool. Well, um, I think uh, Southern
2: Exposure was a strip joint in Rancho Cucamonga. Um, I think it's one in Utah as well. It's, I was not going to bring that up, but now that Scott did, I, I would I would say that's... It I just it came to me. I'm like, wow, where'd that come from?
1: Mm-mm.
2: I must have went there after a Tom Petty concert.
1: But, but you know, I mean, Tim brings up the simplicity and... But a big part of that was just... I mean, Tom was a great writer, another one sadly gone. Um, and... But that band Oh my god that band And and the guy who never get, Does not get enough credit in that band As far as I'm concerned is Ben Montage Oh yeah uh, Keywords
0: Yes he is yeah. I would 100% agree with that
1: I mean He very rarely plays anything That seems super flashy But it just fits in So perfect I mean it, you can't Imagine a song like Breakdown Without his parts you just who else who else
2: would play in that band Uh, you you couldn't even think of another keyboard player that could fit
0: no and i think i think you you hit that right there is the the tom mike bentmont like that was the core of the band the entire time those three whether it was the band whether it was tom's solo work it was always those three and then you know obviously right around the greatest hits area is when the drummer changed and i know they're Uh, bassist died a few years after that so there were some change-ups in the band right there in the early to mid 90s but those three were the core and and what I think is amazing is like go back to it is like you listen to even some of their later stuff they did like um, Mojo and whatnot and Mike has some killer leads on it I mean he's an amazing guitarist but the thing about him is he plays what the song needs and it could be the most simple lead part or it could be you know this three-minute long blues solo and it's just it's fantastic it's just what the song needs and Bentmon the same way like the keyboards are there in the background but without him it just doesn't work
1: the thing about Mike Campbell too is though is that he's um he's way better than you think you know what I mean it's, it's like Elliot Easton with the cars
2: no doubt no.
1: if, if you're gonna do a car song you have to play Elliot solos note for note because well, he's great I mean, it works you know and they and, and you know, my, my friend, Larry Hall, who's been producing my stuff, it was had said, you know, he, he they, they tried to do some some Cars stuff in the band he was playing in. And he was like, and I didn't realize until I sat down to do it, how hard that stuff was, how hard to really do it right. And I think a lot of Mike Campbell's done playing it the same way. It sounds very simple, ain't easy to play.
0: So, so I've realized we've gone on over three minutes. so I'm breaking my rule. but um, So it's time for Bill to go to number three. But I do have to throw in here one thing before I do this. If you don't follow him on Instagram, go follow, follow Mike Campbell. About once a week, he sits down and just breaks down one of their songs and talks about the songwriting process and shows the different guitar parts. Incredible. Just go yeah, follow I think him. I've seen that on YouTube.
1: One of these he days probably does the it there, Fox, too. We get an Instagram account,
0: huh? Um, and... Everybody wants to see Scott's photos. Okay, anyway, Bill, number three.
1: Okay, um, uh, okay um, number three is one of my very, very favorite records of all time. And it's one that by one of the biggest bands in history, but it's an album that nobody ever talks about. Uh, the band is The Eagles. Um, the album is...
0: Wait, nobody ever talks about them?
1: <laughs> no, nobody talks about this album. The album is on the border.
0: Oh, great record! I have it on vinyl.
1: Huh? What was that? That's
0: that's the one I have on vinyl. But keep going. Yeah,
1: you know, I I still have it on vinyl. I didn't Me pull too. out. Me um, too. Uh, there is so much about that record. I mean, um, we tried. We did two songs off of that album. We did already gone. Um, And we did uh, Best of My Love. Um, And Best of My Love is where, is the song where I really started to learn how to sing vocal harmonies. Um, You know, that's, I'm still not a great singer, but I sing pretty good harmony and I can do things like sing sevenths that, a lot of people can't do. And I learned that from that song when I was 16 years old. Actually, uh, before that, there was actually one of the, one of the (laughs) pre-bands that we all talked about and we did Already Gone and Best of My Love Then. Um, Just a great record. And I still love the title cut of that so, so much. On the, the, the title cut on the border is just, Phenomenal.
2: That's a great one. That one and uh, James Dean.
1: James Dean, Good Day in Hell.
2: Old 55.
1: Uh, 55. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and the Eagles didn't even write Old 55. That's a Tom Waits song. Uh, I, I remember seeing the Eagles a couple of times, and Glenn used to say, Yeah, uh, Tom wasn't a big fan of our song, uh, our version of this, uh, until he saw the royalty checks.
2: Yeah. They kind of had that little like, I don't know what you call it, like songwriter family with like J D. Souther and Jackson Brown and uh, you know, they all kind of shared stuff.
1: Jack Tem- Tempston, is that how you pronounce that? I can never remember, but he 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 co-wrote Already Gone, right? Um, and he co-wrote Peaceful Easy Feeling. There was you know um, just what a what a freaking great record. And again. Nobody talks about it. Everybody talks about that first album. Everybody talks about one of these nights, which is when they really went completely huge. But to me, the thing that's interesting about On the Border is that there's two producers on that album. They started out with Glenn Johns, who, I mean, did the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and everything else, and he was the guy who did their first two albums. But they wanted to be more of a rock band, and Glenn said to him. You're not a rock band. The Who is a rock band. That's not <laughs>
2: you.
1: And, and, and as somebody who had worked with The Who, he knows that stuff. But, um, uh, you know, Glenn especially wanted to be a rock band. And so they ended up going to a different producer and going in a completely different direction. Um, and, and it worked, man.
0: That's yeah. That's awesome. Love that. Great record. record. Okay, Scott, it's
2: you. Well, again, in no particular order, just records that... And these are records that I just... I was looking on the Internet and on iTunes. I'm like, well, I could pick all of these, but it's it's too hard. So I just went through my record collection, and I picked out records that I had, and records that I've had my whole life. So, uh, which one? Three, number three. Uh, I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan, and this one... I don't know, can you see it? Yeah. Just
0: barely.
1: Let's
0: see
1: here. Yeah, there you go. Alice Cooper, Muscle of Love. What a yeah. great, great record, man.
0: So, so, is that the actual cover? Just the cardboard, cardboard yeah, box? Yeah, it
2: comes in a cardboard box. Oh, and that's so cool. I mean, you know, mine is. It's beat up because it's my record. And then the inside is... There you go.
1: Very cool.
2: Yeah. Out in front of the live nude place. The muscle of love. And then...
1: Yeah, what a great record. I mean, I love that that, that title cut is amazing. What else is on? Is, is it Elected? Elected is on, on No, that's
2: Billion Dollar Babies. But this one, I mean, I'll, I'll read them to you if you want. There's Big Apple Dreamin', Never Been Sold, Hard-Hearted Alice, Crazy Little Sister. And if you're not like a, a Alice junkie, you're not going to know this shit and I don't even think Alice Cooper Band likes this record but um, Working Up a Sweat Muscle of Love Man with a Golden Gun Teenage Lament Teenage Lament uh, what a, that's a freaking amazing song man and uh, what's the last one can't read it it's
0: too small <laughs> Like I said, two old guys.
1: Well, I, I, I wrote a thing for, uh, uh, for the Substack. Of
2: Woman Machine.
1: Cooper, you know, and not that anybody needs to make a case, but, you know, great songwriter and really understands pop music. Man. I mean, really understands pop music. He did it a, like, a while back where he, uh, in an interview, and he said that if he was working with a young band he would only allow them to listen to certain songwriters. And he gave a list, and it was not people you'd expect from Alice Cooper. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was obviously Lennon McCartney and Brian Wilson, but Burt Bacharach.
2: Because yeah. uh, well, all his stuff hero. is like vaudeville and big show tune. On Muscle of the love record, there's, I, I, I don't know, I don't think two or three songs that have horns in them, and one's got strings and... Uh, it's the total eclectic Alice Cooper fan record, but it was before Billion Dollar Baby, so that's that was like my first experience with Alice Cooper, and I wear that record out. Now you can see I wore it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's so cool. Um, okay, Scott's gonna drink, so I'm gonna jump into my number three. So uh give you a little bit of a story so um, yeah make
2: sure you tell me when the time is up because you know (laughs) i've talked forever
0: You're, you're doing good now uh so as i mentioned i grew up in a house where uh very mellow music a lot of you know kind of 70s folk um my first concert was actually america and the reason why i was allowed to go see america is because jerry and dewey were my dad's friends from high school um long story short he played guitar with them in high school Uh, he went on a Mormon mission um, and when he got back, two of his best friends were in a huge band, America so that's kind of the fun story so I was allowed to go see my dad's high school buddies um, and I believe it, my dad yelled back at them and Jerry told me not to become a rock star, but anyway that's that's another story for another (laughs) day But back in, when I was 17 years old, um, I went to a concert with one of my friends that my parents completely did not approve of Um, and it was the Jimmy Page, Robert Plant reunion tour, the walking into everywhere tour and so and i will tell you that concert blew my mind um and so my number three album is tied i would call it the bookends so yes you have there you go one of the greatest rock albums of all time Led zeppelin one but i would bookend it if i could find the copy would be the page and plant studio album walking into everywhere which is kind of like the post-Zeppelin final album those two did together um, and I think it's a super underrated album I've introduced a lot of Zeppelin fans to it who never wanted to listen to it and a lot of them have realized it's as good as some of the later Zeppelin stuff and the reason why I picked those two albums is I, so I saw them on that tour and about you know probably a third of the show was the new material and then everything else was Zeppelin greatest hits right and up to that point you know I had owned I think Zeppelin 4 I knew Stairway to Heaven I knew Black Dog but I just it had never clicked to me about why they were such a huge band, and after seeing Jimmy Page live, um, literally the next day I went and sold some stuff, and I bought the entire Led Zeppelin <laughs> CD, as well as the Page and Plant album, um, and pretty much just devoured that stuff. As a, as a matter of fact, um, I should have pulled out of the case. I actually also went out and bought a Les Paul. Oh and nice! <laughs> because of Jimmy kind of, Page. Because of Jimmy Page. Although the funny <laughs> thing is, he actually played a PRS on that tour quite a bit. But anyway, that's that's completely unrelated. But. Um, that, and and to this day, I would say Zeppelin is tied for my favorite band of all time. Um, That show just opened my eyes to what a guitar could actually do. And it was, you know, once again, I came off the hills of a lot of the 80s shredder stuff. And some of it's great. Some of it's very stylistic. I mean, Eddie Van Halen had a lot of style, but some of it was just speed for the sake of speed. And watching Jimmy Page and extended solos and all those things and realizing that, like, another one, like I feel like especially on the albums, he played to the song. I mean, incredible solo after incredible solo. And I bring up my I think Zeppelin once maybe it's tied that or House of the Holy, are my probably my two favorite Zeppelin albums. <coughs> but one, um I actually played in a band we did a lot of acoustic sets and we picked up songs off this album like Babe I'm gonna leave you um and things like that. Um Tangerine we played a lot too. That's actually Oh the, man. That's great I, song their third album but or second no is that on this one i don't know no tangerine's on three i think but we used to play a lot of stuff off of this you know we learned communication breakdown things like that good times bad times i think is maybe the greatest album like first track on an album of all time um so i love zeppelin one but i would bookend that with if you're not familiar with it, you should go check out page and plant which is the walking into clarksdale also an incredible album there you go that's my number three perfect <coughs>
1: I, I, I have to admit, I never listened to the post Zeppelin stuff that um, I, I did see Zeppelin in 77 seventh row center and on the floor at the, at, uh, the Fabulous Forum in Inglewood, California. California. That would have uh, been
0: 20 years before I saw those two together.
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, I was 17. Um, and, uh, we got we got three tickets. There was this guy I knew who uh, who had a neighbor who had been a lighting guy, like for the Eagles and some other, he had like gold records up on his walls and stuff. And uh, we, like Zeppelin was in, they were doing seven shows, I think, and everything was sold out. And we went, I wonder if he can get us tickets. And he called him up, and he goes, man, can you get us tickets for Zeppelin? He goes, uh, give me a few minutes. Calls back like 15 minutes later, and he's like, uh, is seventh row okay? Uh, <laughs> didn't cost us anything he just got his tickets and we were just like freaked out man um, and, and that was the night that you know they, John Bonham went to do his solo and uh, as, as he starts uh, this little guy with a very broad English accent walked out and um, said the greatest effing drummer in the world Mr. John Bonham and then went back and started playing timpanies and stuff while Bonham was playing, and he realized, "Oh, holy hell! That's Keith Moon."
0: That's uh, incredible. You know,
1: and uh, and and oh, that's my-
0: only a few years before they both passed away too.
1: It it was actually the last time he played in front of a public audience they went when they did the kids are all right movie they did some performance stuff on a sound stage um like for invited guests but that was the last time he ever played in a place where people could buy tickets and come in it was uh yeah it was pretty astounding that's awesome
0: and uh with that see mine keep going over three minutes i'm the problem okay bill you're up for number number two
1: Okay, um, so number two, uh, and I can't believe I'm gonna save this last one, the number one, I'm actually gonna admit it. Um, Okay, number two, uh, Silk Degrees by Boss Skaggs. I mean, maybe not something that people don't think of as a big guitar album, but I'll tell you something I learned minor nine and dominant thirteen chords because I had to learn how to play low down um, and it wasn't until I was it was in the last ten years that I finally sat down and actually learned the little guitar solo parts in that which were all uh uh less dudak less um, Dudak, yeah an uh, you know, amazing player who gets no credit um and most of the time anymore. He's not so many people think about A lot of people think that that was all Steve Lubithyr. Lubithyr was on that record, but um, as a rhythm guitar player, all, all those solo bits were less. And uh, man, just what a great record. We, we how, how we did this, I think we only did this because my friend, Mark Piotr, um, who had joined the band, was a way better guitar player than me, also played flute. And so I think that's why we did that because we had an actual flute player to play that part. Because God knows we didn't have a keyboard player. And, you know, how you do that Bob material without an electric piano and strings and everything else uh, is beyond me. I'm sure we did it really, really poorly. Um, but um, we at least tried to do uh, lowdown. And love me tomorrow for sure. Maybe what can I say? I don't remember if we did what can I say or not, but I know that um, we did a lowdown and love me tomorrow, which is weird because it's almost like a reggae beat um, at a time when you know most people had no idea what that was, including me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great pick. Okay, let's go to Scott for number two. Uh,
2: number two? Uh, well, again. It's just records that I had and records that I like, records that I grew up. There's just so many records you could say were influential in your life and uh, uh, this is not part of this record, but I mean everybody who knows me knows that, you know, Your Mama Don't Dance, that's the Loggins and Messina, that's the one that made me want to play bass. But this record,
1: uh,
2: Grand Funk. We're an American band.
1: Oh, I almost picked that. (laughs) On the gold vinyl. On
0: the gold, that's very cool.
2: I actually played this record. I love records. I'm a huge record junkie. I mean, you get to... it's, It's huge. You get records to pull out and... They make them in different colors. This one, you got nothing on the sleeve, but you got a colored vinyl. But anyways, this is when they became... I think this is when they became Railroad Baby, because the keyboard player joined, I think, maybe around this band, Craig Frost.
1: I believe that's right. I mean, they always had keyboards, because Mark Farner... Right, right,
2: right. Right.
1: Um, But they would do... I mean when they did their live album after that stuff, they would that that opening song they would do um put and music. Yeah.
2: Two both keyboards. Great yep.
1: keyboards, man. It no was doubt. like there was no guitar on that song, no man. Barter and Craig Voss were both playing Hammonds. It was pretty cool.
2: Great, great. Yeah, and I like this record, I don't know. We're an American band. That's that's the big song off of this record. And that would you know, that was huge when I was a kid. And it wasn't until recently I found out that the drummer is the one who wrote the song. It's Most of the time it's him and, and Foreigner or uh, some other writer, but this one, Don Brewer gets all the credit. And
1: Is this the album that Zappa produced or is that the album that Rundgren produced?
2: This is Todd Rudgren produced. This is the first yeah. one with Todd Rudgren. You know, I think what they say it was... Criteria Studios in Miami, Florida, with Todd Rudgren, like 1970, I don't know, something. But yeah, what a great record.
1: And we all played American Band. Yeah. I mean, and, and to this day, it still goes off every once in a while because I've got a bunch of people on my phone that are set up with a custom ringtone. And, and for a while, anybody I was playing music with, if I got a text, it played a little snippet of we're an american band <laughs> um, uh, great yeah.
0: record great, great record that's great. that's awesome <clears throat> if i don't have a custom ringtone i want one we'll talk about that later what i want though i'm gonna make my i'll make my choice um actually probably right said fred too sexy would be mine uh just because that would be really weird um okay so my number two uh Now I have to throw in my, number two actually should be number one, but there's a story progression between two and one, which is why they're in reverse order, but that's okay. So I've already talked about how my family did not listen to a lot of rock music, but uh, it would have been Christmas of 1993. I got my first CD player. And for Christmas, my mom got two CDs and happened to have them both on CD and vinyl. I can only find vinyl for one of them, but this is the first half of the collection. Oh yeah!
1: Okay. Nice. I knew
0: that was coming. <laughs> so anybody knows me um, knows that the Beatles are. That's basically what I learned to play on. So I got my mom got that and the the red greatest hits and the blue greatest hits the two greatest hit collections. Yeah. And I basically listened to those four albums nonstop for probably a year. Um, I went out and bought a super basic Beatles guitar book. And learn basic chords on everything, and you know, I—I I mean, I was born a decade after the band broke up. I was born three months after John Lennon was shot. I mean, there's no reason why, you know, when I was in middle school or junior high or whatever, that I should have been as fascinated by the Beatles as I was. But I was that weird kid when everybody else was, you know, loving Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins. I was listening to my Beatles albums. Um, but I mean, because they were great. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard Revolution and that just over the top distortion where he's you know john's overdriving the preamp and the console i mean that just it opened my eyes again to music and suddenly it was something that i had and i had accessible in my house and i learned to play literally everything on these albums i to this day like i pull beatles songs out right and left when i'm playing just i for i i've probably learned almost all their songs at some point or another i've got you know the complete scores that was like the next book i bought that has all the parts um uh, Scott would appreciate this. Just this year for Christmas, I got a, a uh, Hoffner uh, violin bass. Oh, yeah. Um, very cool. And I, you know, of course, I strung it up with the uh, same flatwounds that Paul uses on it. Um, Bill knows this. I have an Epiphone Casino as well because of John. Um, I think in the last time we talked about my Dr. Robert pedal, which emulates the uh, Vox UL70 or whatever it is, that obscure hybrid tube salt or yeah, the hybrid solid state tube amp that they used on Revolver and Sergeant Pepper. I mean, um, I just cannot get enough of their music. And so I have to put them there that that was, I wanted to be a musician, but that was the band. That was the music that took me from wanting to learn to play to putting in the effort to actually learn to play, you know? So anyway, uh, such a huge influence for me. So there you go. Beatles great. I stars. know like,
2: like one... I know a few Beatles songs, but my favorite Beatles one that I learned to
0: play, "You Know My Name." That's awesome! I love it. Do you know that song? I I learned it years ago. I probably couldn't play it right now, but such a yeah, great it's song. only it's two chords. Oh, okay. is it?
2: <laughs> the entire song two chords.
0: Yeah, I'd have to go sit down and look at it again. That doesn't surprise me at all.
2: <laughs> oh, great <laughs> and, song. And That
0: would be that would be another band where I think you know you look at them and and I think in a lot of ways. George Harrison kind of defined what a lead guitarist was, and I think he was far better than people ever gave him credit
1: for. Absolutely, absolutely. he
0: he is one of my favorite guitar players of all time. And if you just look at his progression throughout the years, like where he starts and what he's playing at the end, plus, I mean, Paul's bass lines—it's so fun to look at their progression and see just how amazing. I mean, they were great when they started, and they just got better and better and better. And I think you know, even some of their solo stuff you just continue to see that progression from them as musicians and whatnot. So anyway, I will stop. I'm way over three minutes. Bill, it's your number one.
1: Okay. Um uh, so before I go to number one, I'm gonna mention you talked about, you know, that Beatles thing was from your mom. Um and when I was growing up there was this we we had this this uh kind of pony wall between the dining room and the living room with cabinets in it and one of those cabinets is where the records were. They're my parents' records. And there were a few albums in there that that stuck with me. Um, weird stuff. Uh, John Denver's uh, Rocky Mountain High, which is some great songwriting on that. Whatever you think about John Denver. There's, I still have it. It's a great record. Um, that would be
0: another was, one I grew up on, so there you yeah.
1: go. There was uh, Blood, Sweat & Tears' Greatest Hits. You yeah, know? great. And, not a surprise that I ended up in horn bands later on. Uh, the Best of Bread. Oh, Don't love anybody it. give me any crap about it. Again, love great it, man. Writing, man.
2: Guitar Man.
1: Yeah, Guitar Man, Mother Freedom, um, uh, you know, uh, great if. stuff. The one that, that sticks out to me, and I just listened to it again the other day, um, a Trilogy by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. How that ended up in my parents' cabinet, I have no idea. It makes no sense at all. There wasn't a hit on it, but I'm a huge prog rock fan and that's where it started. But number one, and I can't believe I'm going to admit this is not necessarily my favorite album of all time, but I know it had big impacts on me as far as being in a band and doing that stuff. And it has to be Kiss Alive. Oh, great. Without a doubt, man. I love
0: it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah the first, first gig i did with the the band before my we we did one thing we played at a party and we all painted up man yeah. we, and, we were, and we were only a three piece so um, there was no Love ace uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh and we we played strutter, and we played uh rock and roll all night and um, uh, yeah i mean I, I Say what you will, man. They're but great, are great. You won a hugely influential band. And, and Is that your a favorite Kiss band, album? A, a whole bunch of rock musicians who came up on that as, as yeah. you know something they were really listening to. No doubt, no doubt.
2: Is that your favorite Kiss album?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was never, honestly, I was never a huge fan of the studio stuff, except Destroyer. Destroyer's an amazing record. Um, but uh, yeah, that album was just, you know, I saw, I, and, and there is, there, well, I'll put a link on it in here. There's actually a, a full video of their shows at Anaheim Stadium. You can see the the, the one time, there, the time I saw them when I was a kid, I've seen them a few times since then, but um, yeah. I mean, when you're 17 years old and you see Kiss, it's like, I get it. holy I it. crap.
2: What is this? That? That's the time that I saw him, too, Kiss Alive. Yeah, great. That
0: That's a great pick. K okay, Scott, you're up number one.
2: All right, well, I don't know if it's my number one all-time favorite record ever.
0: We were going influential, so it doesn't have to be your favorite all-time ever, just but, most influential.
2: And I, I don't know. A lot of the songs on this record are, sub, are other people's songs, but... Uh, Oh. The Jay Giles Band, uh, Blow Your Face Out. This is a double live record.
1: Is that the one with that amazing version, that amazing live version that must have got lost on it?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: And this is on the Gray Atlantic record label. Uh, this is the actual record I owned since I was a kid. And they're every, all their songs are in there. Southside Shuffle, Back to Get You, Shoot Your Shot, Must Have Got Lost, Where Did Our Love Go, Truck Driving Man, Love Itis, House Party, So Sharp, Detroit Breakdown, Holy Cow, Man. Chime, yeah. Snow Cone, Wait, Raise Your Hand, Start All Over, and Give It to Me. That was like their big hit in the 70s. But...
1: This is and, all before, you know, before Centerfold and everything, you know. They, I mean, people, and, Centerfold was like their second bite of the apple, you know. I mean, they had been a big band for years before that.
2: They, that was their, that was their, definitely their second time around. Centerfold, Freeze Frame. I hated those songs. And most Giles band fans that I know, we didn't like them either, uh, you know. Well,
1: it was very the, different. It was a totally
2: different band. Even stuff like Love Stinks. I mean, Love Stinks was okay, but that was like towards the end. You know, like end end of the 70s. But this band and this record, I saw these guys at Springfield Civic Center in Massachusetts. I don't remember what year, 70s. I'm in high school. And they came back five times for an encore.
1: Well, it was That's Massachusetts, cool. man. They were a Boston band. I mean,
2: come on. but <laughs> you, but I've never, and to this day, I've never seen a band come back five times for encore. I bought this record the next day.
0: <laughs> see, I, I love that. I love the. Uh, I mean, it's when you see a band and you go out and buy their music the next day. Like, it's just you know, it, it's so fun to to have that like connection. But
2: well, you know, they didn't ha- Obviously, they didn't have. CDs and and really they didn't even have cassette tapes when I bought that record. They had eight track tapes and you could have songs on reel to reel but that was it. And where I lived in Massachusetts we didn't really have like chain record stores. We had one record store that was a mail order record store and you could go in there and buy, rec- it was a huge place, you could go in there and buy records. But you had to know the record label that the band was on, because it wasn't, it, they didn't have Jay Giles, and then, you know, Joan Baez, uh, you know, I mean, they had Atlantic Records, Motown, uh, you know, you had to know which label they were on, and then you could go, and I would be in there for hours.
1: Oh, yeah. I love record stores, man. I
0: miss them You records. know, well, I, I miss them, too, and we actually have two here in Utah that are quite good, and um, every once in a while when I get a chance I just go and I just love it I miss you know for me obviously it wasn't the record store for me it was the CD store but I miss just spending hours in there and going through and flipping through what yeah, we had, yeah. and sometimes buying stuff just because you knew the name and you knew the cover but um, but anyway I, I have to jump into this I'm going to go to my number one but before I bring it up I'm going to ask Bill do you know what it is what's your guess I don't know really uh, I figured it, you'd guess it, right it's
1: it got to be a Weezer album <laughs> there you go. Oh,
0: it is.
1: All right. Well, that's a
2: great record,
0: though. Self-titled album. Hold on, Scott. This is for you. It is on marbled blue vinyl.
2: Yes, that's <laughs> great, man. That's great.
0: <clears throat> so obviously, I bought it on CD back in nineteen ninety-four. Yeah. Um, so that album came out about a year after i'd gotten to the beatles and you know i didn't have a big connection with 90s music until that album came out and i actually remember the first time i well i remember hearing buddy holly thought it was okay heard the sweater song and i was sold Um, i went out and bought that album and i spent my summer when i was 14 years old learning to play that album from cover to cover um that you know it was interesting because I started playing in a band kind of the year before um, I'd mentioned we were playing some Tom Petty stuff we were playing some Beatles stuff we were trying to do with some Aerosmith stuff um, but not really popular with the kids our age at that time the blue album was the first album that I had bands cover where people were like you know loved it because it was now our generation of music and I would say I have covered the sweater song I I probably played that song live more than any other song I've ever played. (laughs) And the reason why, is I found out in high school, you could play a set, you could do original material, you could do whatever, um, and people wouldn't be that interested. And if they weren't interested, if you pulled out the sweater song, everybody knew it and everybody would sing along. And I had a band in college that uh, my my buddy, Corey, who was the other guitarist, uh, he and I would play the sweater song. And as we were playing it, we would kind of banter back and forth in the beginning, where the, you know, the song is like the, "Hey man, how's it going? You know, life's so rad." But I'd be like, "Hey Corey, how do you think the show's going?" <laughs> you know, and he'd respond. I'd be like, "How do you think the audience is liking this?" And people would explode. They would love it. They would love that you'd have the banter about them in the song. Everybody would sing along. Um, just I have so many great memories of, of uh, playing that song live, of playing that album. Um, it is by far my favorite Weezer fan or Weezer album. Building on topic of a fan I am. And it's probably in my top two or three favorite albums of all time. I love that album so much. And of course, you know, I still buy everything Weezer does even on vinyl and CD and everything else, even though some of it's total garbage. Um, they've had some rough years, but uh, that album is probably my, f- well, and I, I will say, I swear by this to this day, say it Ain't so is the greatest song of the nineties period. Cam out
1: i love that record i was late i was late to the weezer party and it was tim who got me into it it's like now i you know i probably own a half a dozen weezer albums and you know and when when there's a new any anything that's got river's name on it when it comes out i'm gonna listen to it it may be really whacked out but it's usually really pretty good
0: well you know i've got my son really into him and um We've been laughing about their latest, the, uh, the uh, spring album they've done, and the song, The Shakespeare Makes Me Happy. <laughs> and so my yeah. son and I will always just <laughs> randomly like, bring that line up to each other. I'll be like, hey, Chase. He'll be like, what? And I'll be like, Shakespeare makes me happy, just because it's just like this ongoing joke. Because sometimes the lyrics are just so awful and so cringy, but there's just something lovable about them. So there you go. Well,
2: that's the only Weezer record I own. And I bought the CD when it first came out. Here's a quick story. I won't take a look. I'm working as a sound man at this club in West Hollywood called Luna Park. And I get to be the sound man in the big room tonight. We have this, this guy from Israel come in and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to play some music on the, on the PA before I put on the Weezer CD. I'm cranking it. it sounds amazing. The head bartender girl comes up to me and says, if you don't take that off right now, you're not getting another drink the rest of the night. (laughs) The entire bar staff hated it. Hated it. And they gave me dirty looks all night long.
0: (laughs) That's incredible.
2: Oh, I love that record, though. It's a great record.
1: We, we must be wrapping up, because Scott's got disco lights going on behind Bad.
2: him. I, I'm not sure why, but I think because everything's so wireless around here that sometimes some
0: interference
2: comes along.
1: Yeah, wow. it was actually and It was really cool. It was flashy. It was like blue, then green, then red.
0: I, I was going to say, we're almost to our recording limit with this program, so we better wrap up. Who's got honorable mentions? Anybody?
1: Oh God. Um, Captain and Me by the Doobie Brothers. Um and uh, again you, you know it's a you know it's something with staying power when you're still playing the same songs 35, 40 years later. Neil Diamond, yes, absolutely I had that record.
2: This is an amazing, amazing record. This guy is an amazing songwriter. Holy cow. There's not one bad song on this record.
1: Nope.
0: See, I, I would throw out, mine's going to be more 90s. Mine would be, um, I would throw Blink-182 in there because it introduced me to punk, which I played in a lot of punk bands in college. Green Day would be in there, Dookie. Um, I would probably throw in, when I first started learning to play, it was kind of Aerosmith Resurgent. Get a Grip was a big one we tr- learned a lot off of. Um, you know, I could keep going down that, but Chuck yeah, mine would be, that's so cool.
2: London Berry Sessions, do you know that one? I'm not familiar with that one. Half of it's half of it's live and half of it's studio. This is where like my dingling came from and oh, reeling yeah. and rocket. Uh, all all London players backing him on. Um, it's uh, you can find all the videos now on YouTube. Amazing! Amazing.
1: Well, I guess Kay.
0: that's it. You got to wrap, well, oh. wrap this up before we get cut off. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> Scott, Scott will keep going with everything he owns in the collection. No. Yeah, um, so
1: we'll we'll fade out and we'll just let Scott keep the drawing album.
0: Okay. Well, with this, this has been fun, guys. Let's put together a playlist so people can check it out. And you know, it's my first you know, record. Say anybody who's a uh, that's awesome. Anybody who's paying attention to this on the internet, um, you know, let us know what your top five are, what your favorite albums are. Amazing. And, uh, with that, uh, I'm an hour behind you guys, so I'm gonna take off and go to bed
1: you do that oh and we have actually had a request for a uh, a uh, show um, nobody wants us to talk about the pros and cons of Nam. are you going why should you go why should you care everyone
0: should at least go once I say, uh, say next week or two weeks or three weeks from now or whenever we actually do this again whatever this is that topic That's we're good
1: yeah Okay. See you guys. See you guys. Have a good, good night.
0: Kate before now that we ended that. Um before I'm going to stop recording right now. Uh um